Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you hear His Word today. Please open your Bible or your Bible app to the book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 1. I want to welcome you being a part of the Bible Center family online or on TV. Uh, welcome to church. Thank you for being a part of what the Lord is doing here. I'm Matt. I'm the lead pastor here at Bible Center. I would love to meet you next time our paths cross. Today is a big day. We are launching an eight-week series going verse by verse through the book of 1 John. This is not the Gospel of John at the beginning of the New Testament, but it's actually the book of 1 John towards the end of the Bible, not far from the book of Revelation. The title of our series is Are You Certain? Now, if you're taking notes, the book of 1 John is all about assurance, one of John's primary goals was to give believers, us, assurance of, uh, that all of our sins have been forgiven, past, present, and future, that God the Father completely accepts and completely approves of us through the merits of Jesus, that we really are going to be with Jesus when we die, and that this salvation is eternal, it is secure, it is forever, it is unlosable, if that is even a word. Now, towards the end of the letter, John writes this in chapter 5 and verse 13. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. That's us, those of us who are Jesus' followers. He's writing to Christians so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, we're going to want to remember this verse here in just a few minutes. But 1 John 5.13 is one of the big purposes of the entire letter. Now, it's important to note right away that assurance of salvation must not be confused with salvation itself. A person can be saved in Christ without having assurance of salvation, and equally, someone can have a false or incorrect assurance of salvation without truly being saved. So in this short letter, John identifies eight signs, eight evidences, eight proofs that you are or are not a child of God. If you have ever asked this question, the book of 1 John is for you. If you have ever asked, can I really know I'm saved? If you've ever asked, can I really have assurance of my salvation? Can I know for sure that I am on my way to heaven when I die? Can I really know I'm right with God? If you've ever asked any of those questions, the book of 1 John is for you. God wants all Christians to have assurance of our salvation. And in this book, he makes an ironclad case for how we can know that we know that we know we are genuine Jesus followers. This book lays out irrefutable evidence that's not based on experience or a prayer we prayed or a trip we made down the aisle to an altar at a church. Instead, assurance of salvation is based on real-time, observable indicators and real promises of God. And so I want to ask you the question, are you certain you are a Christian? Are you certain you are a Christian. Could you benefit from more spiritual confidence knowing your sins have been forgiven? I know I could benefit from that kind of confidence. Perhaps you could benefit as well. 
Does your spiritual journey need encouragement? I really hope, I want to ask you, I want to plead with you, I really hope that you'll join us for all eight weeks of this series. Each week, we're going to look at a new evidence of salvation so that you can be sure that you're sure that you're sure you are the child of God. I believe this message is going to be important to you. It's going to be important to me five years from now. I believe what we're talking about is going to be important to you 500 years from now. And I am confident it's going to be important to you five trillion years from now. Now, here are a couple of resources I want to recommend to you if you like to study deeper or if you like to follow along with the pastor as he preaches. Uh, this is the Bible Center app. You can get it at all of your app store. There's all of your app stores. There's a number of features on the Bible Center app. But of course, being uh, one of the preachers and teachers here, one of my favorites has to do with the sermon notes. You can actually follow along. It's not quite a manuscript, but there's a lot that is in the notes that I don't even have time to cover here today. Another resource I want to recommend is the study guide, the First John study guide. Uh, Pastor Mike has done a great job going verse by verse through the entire book. Uh, for a few dollars, you can get this in our lobby. Uh, if you're here at the church, for those of you online and on TV, you can actually see it for free uh, on the app in the sermon notes section, or you can go to our website, biblecenterchurch.com. And again, you can have this for free. It looks great on an iPad, especially. Today's message is entitled, Certain Relationship, Certain Relationship. We're going to look at how a relationship with Jesus is the first indicator, the first evidence, or the first proof that you are God's child. Now, I really believe today's message is easy to follow. It goes something like this. I'm going to give you one thing that I want you to know and two things that I want you to do. One thing to know and two things to do to do. Let's go ahead and dive in. 1 John 1, 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. <clears throat> the life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Have you ever noticed how security and joy go together? As we look through these first four verses, one of the things that became evident to me this week and one of the things I pray that becomes evident to you today is that security and joy go together. Security often brings joy. Some would say that security is the foundation for joy. I was thinking back to about a year and a half ago when our son first moved in with us. Uh, the adoption was final in August and uh, he was raised by great godly uh, grandmother, uh, but there was just some uncertainties in his little heart as a seven-year-old boy uh, as he came into our home. And we were all praying that God would calm his heart. One of the things that he was uncertain about, for some reason, is he was always afraid that someone was going to break into our house and that somebody was going to take him. I think he so wanted the adoption to be finalized and he just wanted to get settled into a, a, his new family, but he was very scared that someone was gonna break in the house and take him. 
And so that went on for a month or two. And I remember on one occasion, we were walking near our house past the 911 center. Maybe you've seen the 911 center in the Charleston area. If you're watching this, wherever you are outside the Charleston area, you probably have something similar. But we're walking past the 911 center that's just a few hundred yards from our house. And he asked me, Dad, what's that? What is this building? He was noticing the radio towers and the satellites and the big heavy trucks and the equipment and all that, even some, some various uh, sheriff's cars and SUVs were around the 911 center. Dad, what is that? And I begin to explain to him that when somebody calls 911, that all those calls in our area go into this building, they go into this location. And I started to go into all the details and I could just tell his eyes were, he was just kind of glazing over. And eventually he just asked me this. He's like, dad, are we safer because we live near the 911 center? I had to think about that for a minute. Like, well, I think they want to reach out to everybody in the county. But I answered what I felt at that time a seven-year-old boy needed to hear. I said, absolutely. Yes, we're safer because we live near the 911 center. And that's all he needed to hear. Really from that point on, my son, who's now nine, barely nine, he, he thinks that because we live close to this place, that if somebody tries to break in our house, like Apache helicopters are gonna come out of the roof. He, he thinks that if somebody tries to break into our house, there's gonna be like missiles that come from the 911 center to our house to protect him and save him. And so he feels much more safe and that was a turning point in his little heart, just knowing that, okay, we're safe, now I can have joy. You might feel that way if you've received the COVID vaccine. Perhaps there's a certain sense of relief or joy that comes from the security that you're not nearly as likely to get the virus. A king or queen who feels secure inside the castle walls can throw grand royal parties because they have no fear of conquest or invasion. A sense of security brings joy. Security and joy go hand in hand. Let me ask you today, would you say right now, as you're watching this message, as you're listening to this message, would you say that you have joy? Would you say that you have joy? Let's just not even try to overdefine the word. Would you say that you have happiness right now? Would you say that you have peace right now with the way things are going in your life? If you do have any of those things or any version of those things, it may be because you have security in some area of your life. Maybe you have security in your health, security with a steady income, security with retirement or career or security in your business, security in your marriage or in your friendships. It's possible that if you don't feel uh, joyful, that you don't feel happy or at peace, however you want to define it, it's possible that there could be some of these areas in your life that you don't feel secure. Now, my purpose today is not to be a financial counselor. You wouldn't want me to do that. Uh, or to be even, uh, even your, uh, when we think through your business coach. But I do want to be a spiritual voice in your life. And I'm so thankful that you've tuned in because what I want to talk about today is, I believe, more important than any of those things I just mentioned. And that is your spiritual peace with God and your eternal peace in an eternal home of heaven. Here's today's big idea. Security in Jesus is the secret to joy. 
Security in Jesus is the secret to joy. We could say this a number of ways. The secret to joy is security in Jesus. Real joy comes from a relationship with Jesus. A relationship with Jesus is the reason for joy. Our joy in Jesus is proportionate to our security in Jesus. Our joy in life is proportionate to our assurance of salvation. Being sure of your salvation is the key to joy. And the more of salvation, sure of salvation you are, the more joy in Jesus you'll have. Security in Jesus is the secret to joy. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones once said this about joy and assurance. He said, we should all be concerned about our assurance of salvation. If we lack assurance, we lack joy. If we lack joy, our life is probably of poor quality. Security, assurance, and joy go together. Now today, I want you to have joy. I want you to have this sense of, of contentment with God, this sense of rejoicing in what you have, not only in this life, but even more so in the life to come. I want you to have joy. But I know that in order for you and me to have real joy, we've got to have real security. Security in Jesus is the secret to joy. Let's look at 1 John 1.1. We're just going to go quickly through these four verses, and let's learn what the Lord has for us. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. First, let's look at this idea of from the beginning. Now, he hasn't used Jesus' name yet in verse 1. We're not going to see that until verse 3. But in context, he's talking about Jesus. He says that Jesus was from the beginning. This phrase refers to Jesus being around. Jesus existed before the dawn of time. John declares that Jesus has eternally existed as God. Right out of the gate, in contrast to some of the false teachers, John declares the eternality of Jesus Christ. This passage reminds me of Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It reminds me of John 1.1 that says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Greek Old Testament uses the same expression that God existed from the beginning, Habakkuk 1.12. Micah 5.1 says that the origins of the Messiah would be from the beginning. Jesus' existence did not begin in Bethlehem. He was not created like the angels. Before history heard the starting gun, Jesus was there. His beginning goes all the way back to eternity past. Jesus has always eternally existed with the Father as God. There has never been a time when the Son was not. He was before the beginning, he was in the beginning, and he was from the beginning. John, in the first few words, is already going head-to-head -head with some false teaching that the early Christians were up against that were teaching that Jesus wasn't eternal. And so John declares, no, Jesus is eternal. He's from or before the beginning. And then John uses four sensory words. He says he has heard Jesus, seen Jesus, looked at Jesus, and touched Jesus. 
Now, John is writing this book about 60 years after Jesus died, was buried, raised from the grave, and ascended back into heaven 40 days later. So it's been like 60 years since John has seen Jesus in the upper room. Now, John is an old man. Most scholars believe he's at least in his 80s at this time. But for John, remembering the time when he heard, seen, looked at, touched Jesus was almost like yesterday. You can just imagine for the rest of his life those conversations that he had with Jesus Christ. Now, what John is doing here is important. Not only did John tell us that Jesus is from the beginning, but he's also reminding us that Jesus lived, Jesus is physical. Jesus, yes, is 100% God, but he's also 100% man. John had spent three years with Jesus. He had heard him teach on hundreds, if not thousands of occasions. He had watched Jesus drink his coffee in the morning to teach, to do miracles during the day. He had watched Jesus brush his teeth at night. Not only had he seen Jesus, but he gazed on Jesus. He heard him. He saw him. The difference between seen and looked at, if you're taking notes, is the word gazed. This idea means he gazed. He contemplated. He meditated on Jesus. But he also touched Jesus. John had hugged Jesus. He had shaken his hand. Jesus probably put his hand on John's shoulder when they bowed together to pray. John and the other disciples had touched Jesus' scars in his side and the scars in his hand. John knew Jesus. And so he goes on to say, because of this, this we proclaim. All John is saying there is that the message of his life is everything he's already talked about. It's the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Everything John preached, everything John taught, everything John wrote had a Jesus focus. John is the writer of five books in our New Testament. We have the gospel of John early in the New Testament. We have 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John that we're studying now. And then we have the book of Revelation. John wrote the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. John declared Jesus. But then he's not, he not only says Jesus, what we're going to find out in a moment, but he gives Jesus this name, the word of life, or he recognizes Jesus' name as the word of life. This was John's favorite term for Jesus. He called Jesus the word or the word of life more than any other Bible writer. According to John, Jesus was the word. He was the law. He was and is reality. Jesus is black and white on the page. Jesus is the authority over all other authorities. Jesus is the logos, the logos. Jesus is the word of life. And we see this in verse 2. Verse 2, he continues, the life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. If you'll see here in verse 2, on two, two occasions, he uses the word appeared. This idea of appeared is sometimes translated as manifest. It's one of John's favorite words to describe Jesus Christ. Its repetition stresses the revelatory nature of Jesus' coming. It means to make something that was invisible, visible. 
Jesus made the invisible God visible to us. Heaven isn't a hidden speakeasy. No, Jesus came to reveal everything we needed to know about God and that he is the way, the truth, and the life to God. If you want to know what God thinks, look at Jesus. You want to know what God feels? Look at Jesus. Want to know how God responds? Look at Jesus. In John 14, 9, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. To know Jesus is to know God. Not only has God appeared to us in the person of Jesus Christ, not only did John see it and testify to it, but John is proclaiming to us that through Jesus, we can have eternal life. Now, if you're taking notes, you want to write two words, or write three words, actually. Write quality, not quantity. Quality, not quantity. Now, does eternal life refer to quantity of years? Does it refer to an eternity? Does it refer to being forever and ever with God? Absolutely. The Bible clearly teaches that in a number of, of locations. But when John uses the idea of eternal life, John means something more than quantity. John is emphasizing quality of life. You can study this for your own this week, but you see it in the first few verses of John chapter 17. John says that eternal life is to have God's life within you. Eternal life is the life whereby you know God. For John, he loved to use the phrase eternal life, but John never said you get eternal life when you die. John always told us that we have eternal life the moment we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Not only was Jesus from the beginning, but it says here in verse 2 that he was with the Father and has appeared to us. What does this mean that Jesus was with the Father? Well, it means the same idea that we saw in verse 1, that Jesus was from the beginning. Jesus is eternal. It's another evidence of the pre-existence of Christ. He enjoyed eternal fellowship with the Father, equal in deity, equal in nature, yet distinct in person. But John's still not done. In verse 3, he's just opening his letter. He says in verse 3, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, this idea of proclaim, we've already looked at it once. John used it back up in verse 1. He's saying the same thing here in verse 3. John is saying that the gospel is at the heart of all of his proclamation, that Jesus is the focus of everything that he wants to talk about. John, by talking about proclaiming to us a certain subject, isn't talking yet about the book of 1 John as much as he's talking about the whole gospel message in general. And this is going to be important in verse 4. I'll explain why when we get there. He says not only did he proclaim to us what we have seen and heard, but he gives us the reason for his proclamation. He says, so that, this is the reason, so that you also may have fellowship with us. He's emphasizing now fellowship with 
us. And he says, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So if we were to put a microphone in front of John and say, John, why do you proclaim the gospel? Why do you teach us so much about Jesus? John would say, the reason is because I want you to have close, intimate fellowship with other brothers and sisters in Christ and with God himself. What is fellowship? Sometimes fellowship conjures up all sorts of images. If you have a church background, fellowship may conjure up this image of drinking coffee out of a paper cup or nibbling on a donut after a morning service. But fellowship means something far more than that. The root meaning of fellowship is a deep sharing of things in common. What is it that believers share in common? According to the Bible, it's Jesus Christ and his salvation. Only believers in Christ have this kind of fellowship. Now, Hellenistic literature, Greek literature, uses this word fellowship to describe partners in business, joint owners of a piece of property, or shareholders in a common enterprise. In the New Testament, the word fellowship is used over 60 times in reference to the supernatural life that Christians share. We have a common faith. We share our possessions. We give towards the same goals. We have a common gospel. The fellowship is the union of common faith brought about by the gospel. I love Warren Wearsby's simple definition of fellowship. In two words, he basically says everything I just said. To Warren Wearsby, fellowship is spiritual nearness. Spiritual nearness. I like that. This fellowship is the goal of the gospel. This fellowship or unity is the emphasis of the New Testament. It was Jesus' ultimate goal for his ministry, especially the ministry of his death, resurrection, ascension, and sending of the Holy Spirit. The goal of Jesus was never just to forgive your sins. That's part of the goal. That was on the way to the goal, but that wasn't Jesus' ultimate goal. As important as forgiveness of sins is, Jesus' bigger goal, according to Colossians 1, Ephesians 2, Galatians 3, Jesus' bigger goal is to unify everything in heaven and on earth and bring it into perfect fellowship for all of eternity. In eternity past, there was perfect union between God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit. And so through Jesus, one day, individuals, the church collectively, and the entire world will be brought back into fellowship. Even the universe itself will be brought back into fellowship, union, and perfect harmony and union, unity with God the Father. This is why Abraham Kuyper says this, unity is the ultimate goal of all the ways of God. So if we were to ask John, we were to put a microphone in front of him and say, John, why again are you writing this little letter with only five chapters? John would say this in 1 John 1, 4. We write this, he and the apostles, we write this to make our joy complete. Some translations translate this, your joy complete. Either way, 
What John is saying is this. He wants all of our joy to be complete. Now, it's important that we see this idea of write this. What do we mean by write this? The write this refers to the entire book of 1 John. Most scholars believe that 1 John 1.4 is kind of forms like the left bookend of the book. And 1 John 5.13 that we looked at earlier in the sermon is the right bookend of the book. So you've got chapter 1 verse 4, chapter 5 and verse 13 are the two bookends. And John is saying everything that he's about to say is for our joy, that our joy will be complete. So what's joy? Well, if you look up the definition for joy, it's the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. However, according to the Bible, Christian joy is something much deeper. It's much richer than just this surface idea. According to the Bible, Christian joy is the presence of Jesus in our lives by means of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Christian joy flows from the genuine satisfaction and security in Jesus that affects us intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually. Christian joy is the spirit of having eternal victory regardless of life's circumstances. And I have never seen it until this week. Joy is emphasized over and over and over again in the New Testament. The word is actually used 59 times in the New Testament alone. Jesus tells us that that was always his goal for our salvation. John 15, verse 11. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. John 16, 22 through 24. I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. John 17, verse 13. I am coming to you now, Jesus says, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Security in Jesus is the secret to joy. The more of your assurance, more sure you are of your salvation, the more joy is able to flourish in your life. I got a good friend who grew up in a certain aspect of Christianity that I believe teaches incorrectly on this subject. He was always taught that if he had, he had to walk on eggshells, that if he did just the slightest thing wrong, that God was going to take away his salvation, like some angry parent would dare to take away the candy of their children. And so he said growing up, he never had real joy because he was always afraid that he was going to make God mad over the slightest thing. But when he learned that he could have assurance of salvation, again, not an experience, but in the Bible, in the promises of God, an objective truth that he could see certain fruits in his life, when he learned that he could have assurance, then he had joy. I was this week just studying some of the, uh, Googled the most secure homes in the world. The most secure homes in the world. Here's one, this is Buckingham Palace. It's a pretty secure house. The queen feels secure with her 24-7 access to the British army inside and out. 
But what I didn't know this week was that many of the walls in the Buckingham Palace are up to 18 inches of reinforced steel. This home is secure. Here's another home that's called the Zombie Bunker House. It's designed with reinforced concrete. And if you'll notice, it looks like just kind of a modern looking house, but with the touch of one button, this happens. It's designed in case there's a meteor shower or a zombie apocalypse. They're prepared for everything. I think the architects had watched too much of The Walking Dead. And we can't forget about America's very own White House. It has 147 bulletproof windows and is staffed by 1,300 members of the Secret Service. The president has a bunker that is six stories below the White House in the event of emergency. Now imagine with me, Imagine with me that you might be more of the anxious type. Maybe you are more of the anxious type. And let's say that you get an opportunity to sleep for a week, vacation, rest in one of these homes. And so you know that beyond a shadow of a doubt that at night when you lay your head on your pillow, you are totally and completely safe. I really do believe that that would create a sense of security in your life, and from that would flow a sense of joy in your life. And that's what we're trying to teach about Jesus. Security in Jesus is the secret to joy. So here's what I want you to do. One, I want you to pray to receive Christ. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you to pray to receive Christ. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God loved you so much that he sent his son to pay for your sins on the cross. Jesus was buried. Jesus rose again the third day. And Jesus offers you new life. Pray to receive Christ if you're not yet a follower of Jesus. But what I want to ask us to do as Christians, number two, Pray for God to use this series to increase your joy. Pray for God to use this series to increase your joy. Imagine what would happen if you over the next eight weeks, as we look at eight different characteristics that give you assurance of your salvation, imagine what could happen if you became so secure that God loves you with a love that will never let you go. The worst sin you've ever committed was paid for by Jesus and that he sees you, God the Father sees you just as righteous as Jesus Christ. Imagine what that would do for your children, your grandchildren, your neighbors, and your community. You've been in a pandemic for over a year, but if you have Jesus, you can have joy. You've lost loved ones and friends this year, but if you have Jesus, you can have joy. The doctor's diagnosis may not be good. The pain may not go away on this side of heaven. But if you have Jesus, you can have joy. Pray to receive Christ. Pray that God would use this series to create joy in your life. You say, Matt, why would I do that? The answer is simple. Because security in Jesus is the secret to joy. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com or check us out on social media. You can also join us in person for services on Thursday at 7 p.m. or Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m.